Take your Bibles and please turn with me to Matthew 16. We continue our reading in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16 tonight, verses 1 through 12. Let us pray again. Our gracious God, we do come before you tonight upon the occasion of your word being publicly read and preached, and we do ask, Father, for your help. Father, if we are not helped by you, then we are beyond being helped. We have it not within ourselves to receive this word to our benefit unless you are pleased to stoop low and help us tonight. So we ask, O Lord, by the merits of Jesus Christ, who is high and lifted up, enthroned at your right hand, by his blood and righteousness we ask for help. Give us ears to understand. Father, we pray that you would give us hearts to believe. Give us wills to obey. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 16. <clears throat> and the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is God's word. In his great commentary on scripture, Matthew Henry, a faithful Presbyterian minister who died in 1714, makes an excellent observation on the passage you have just heard read. I cannot keep this observation from you. Henry says, quote, The weakness and sluggishness of good people in their worldly affairs is that for which men are most apt to condemn them. But this is not so much an offense to Christ as is their excessive care and anxiety about those very things. Henry then adds the best part. We must endeavor to keep the mean between the extremes of carelessness 
and carefulness. But of the two, an excessive care about the world is worse for a disciple of Christ. Now, the reason Henry is saying this is because in our text tonight, the disciples have forgotten to bring bread. They have embarked on a new journey with our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, they've crossed the lake again. But this time, they forgot to bring a supply of food. Now, this carelessness about their provisions is one kind of problem. But as Matthew Henry would say, it is not the greater problem. The greater problem is that now knowing they have forgotten the bread, they have become so anxious and over-careful about how things are going to work out. So much so that they have become incapacitated, incapacitated, handicapped, disabled, for thinking theologically and hearing theologically. They are suddenly too distracted and too mentally occupied to engage ideas about God and ideas about truth and ideas about religious errors and ideas about false teaching. Jesus wants to talk to them about the leaven of the Pharisees, but they want to talk about what they are going to eat. They cannot clear their heads, it seems, until they resolve their lack of bread. Have you ever been in a situation like this? Of course you have. Of course we have. You and I slip in and out of this situation all the time, and it is only by God's grace we don't lay down in it, never to rise again. This situation completely dominated the generation of Israel that Jesus walked among. They were so magnetized to earthly cares, they had no interest in the truth of Yahweh's salvation. They had no interest in whether the Pharisees were really teaching the truth or not. They just wanted to get along and get home and make dinner. This situation dominated that generation. Jesus said, quote, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Matthew 13, 15. The dulling heaviness of life and the needs of life is always tempting us fallen creatures to be so full of care for ourselves and for our families that we do not want to think about the things of God and the things of the soul and the things of the church. We want to think about the needs of the body, the needs of the family, the needs of tomorrow. We have an earth lust so strong sometimes, we may even develop a theology that says, thinking too much about God and doctrine and truth is works righteousness. God wants me to take it easy. Get away from me with your theology and doctrine. But what did our Lord Jesus say in Luke 21, 34? He said, watch yourselves 
lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and the cares of this life. The cares of this life. Watch out. And what did Jesus say in the parable of the soils about the seed that chokes the word? He said, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Mark 4.19. And what, of course, does Jesus say in the text before us tonight? He says, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says that in verse 6. He says it again in verse 11. And then Matthew makes sure we understand it in verse 12. But it turns out, it turns out that before the disciples can really benefit from what Jesus was saying about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they need to get over their worry fever about bread. They were hot with worry about where their daily needs would come from on this trip, now that they've forgotten bread, which led them to completely misunderstand what Jesus wanted to talk about. When they heard Jesus say leaven for the first time, verse 6, they thought of bread. But Jesus didn't mean bread. He meant teaching, the bad teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It had spread like yeast into all the nooks and crannies of Israel. Bad teaching was just thick in the air. It was so everywhere present. The only way to avoid coming under its spell was to be on the lookout for it regularly and to be super close to the teaching of Jesus Christ. But the disciples on this day had no interest in this. They were paralyzed by the missing bread. Now, you might think, man, why doesn't Jesus just overlook all this? I mean, this happens in my house 14 times a day. We just misunderstand each other, and we overlook it, and we move on. That is not the problem here. It looks like that's the problem. But it only looks that way because of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is in us. The disciples are paralyzed by worry. When they heard him say leaven, they thought bread. When he said leaven, he meant bad teaching. Now the disciples, it turns out, are in a deep and dark hole, imagining all the things that could go wrong if they don't find bread to feed 12 grown men. Now, Jesus loves these men. He loves these men. He does not hate these men. He is not indifferent towards these men. He is warm toward them, attentive to them, interested in them, eager to help them solve their problems. He loves them. And because he loves them, he will do two things simultaneously so he can bring them back to their senses and out of their worry hole. First, he does not shrug off their errors. Second, he jumps in their dark hole, their worry hole, with a blazing flashlight and leads them out like little children. First, see in verse 8 how Jesus does not shrug off their errors. Oh, you of little faith, 
Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Jesus says, you are behind in your faith. You shouldn't be this far behind. You are discussing your bread problem and making it a bigger problem. You shouldn't be discussing it, is what he has just said. If anything, you should be saying among yourselves what I am about to say to you. That's when Jesus jumps in their dark hole with his flashlight. In verse 9 and 10, Jesus walks these men through the two recent feeding miracles. One is recorded in chapter 14. The second is recorded in chapter 15. At the first feeding miracle, Jesus fed 5,000 Jewish men with five loaves of fish. When the disciples gathered the leftovers, there were 12 baskets of leftovers, more than they started with. At the second miracle, Jesus fed 4,000 Gentile men with seven loaves. When they gathered the leftovers, there were seven baskets of leftovers, which is, by the way, more than seven loaves. Again, more bread than when they started. Here is the point. The disciples had just recently been in two situations where they did not have enough bread. But because Jesus was with them, they ended up with more than enough food for themselves and for thousands of others. So on this new boat journey, they may be without bread, but they are not without the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not forgotten him, but more importantly, he has not forgotten them. Do they not know the one who is with them is far greater than anything they could have provided for themselves? They need to understand they are not left alone to care for themselves in the world. The church of Jesus Christ will never be left alone to care for itself in the world. The believer will never be left alone to care for him or herself in the world. Jesus has bound himself to these little ones. Jesus has no disciples whom he puts in the situation where you're left alone to care for yourself. He will always be with his followers. Always, until the very end of the age, he said. He said that in Matthew 28. He had been raised from the dead and was soon to be enthroned at the right hand of God on high. He is as with his church through all her needs as she travails as pilgrims on the earth. He is as with her in her needs as he is with her in her nature. He does indeed bear our human likeness for eternity now at the right hand of God. So this, beloved, Jesus is teaching his disciples teaching you. This must change everything we allow ourselves to think about what we need, about where it will come from, about when it will arrive, 
and whether we will have enough. Now look with me at verse 11. Jesus, one more time, presses their little faith upon them. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Now, I am pretty certain Jesus knows the answer to this question. He knows how it is that they failed to understand that he was not speaking about bread. But he wants them to think about how they got so tangled up, so crosswired, that they failed to understand what he was talking about. Now, it is quite something that our Lord does not just ignore this mix-up. He wants them to do better because they can do better. Their faith can grow under his gardener's care. And it grows by these kind of rebukes and inquiries and questions. He wants them to do better because they can do better, but they can't do better if they don't think about why they didn't do better in the first place. Jesus is pressing them to confront the great pull that earthly cares have had upon them. Beloved, let me, let me invite you into this kind of maturity, because it belongs to you. Jesus is doing some soul care. Jesus is opening up some cupboards of the heart. Jesus is taking his disciples and asking them an incredibly penetrating question. Why did you fail to understand what I was speaking about? Well, because, you know, you, you spoke with a lisp. No, he didn't. Well, well you, you, you spoke in kind of a riddly way. Well, you know, we haven't talked about leaven for three days. He did not speak in a riddly way. There was nothing wrong in the way our Lord spoke about, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So why did they fail to understand that he wasn't speaking about bread? He is taking his disciples, yes, you could say, to the woodshed, but this is better than the woodshed. He is taking them into the labyrinth of a human heart that too easily is drowned under the worries of earthly care. This is why they failed. Because they were leaning on their tippy toes to think about their stomachs, to think about what their physical needs were. It wasn't enough for them that Jesus was with them. And their minds got carried away as if they were orphans. This is a wonderful insight into how the Lord builds up a Christian. Let me invite you into this kind of maturity. You have to think about what you are thinking about. When you go home on a Sunday morning and you realize sometime around 1.30 p.m. when you are starting to digest your lunch 
that you didn't know what the sermon was about. You can't remember what it was about. And I have to admit, there are sometimes, there are sermons that you'd be better maybe forgetting. I have a few of those once in a while. But the word of God has come to you. And it has reached your auditory canal. And now within an hour or two, you have not thought about it. And you can't even think about it. You can't remember it. You were there. You have no memory problems. Nobody else has told you you have memory problems yet, except for those little ones. Why? Why have you failed to take responsibility for the word of God? You should ask yourself and find out. You should pull on that rope. You should pull it all the way out. You should go all the way into the cave and find out what is, what storm is in your soul. What lust for earthly care is in your sails. You should find out. Remember, the Christian life isn't simply about showing up at public assemblies and going home and saying, I made it to another one and more people saw me there. That is not going to help you enter the maturity that Jesus is inviting these disciples into. You have to go home and get on your face before him and say, Lord, I don't know the answer to why I fail to understand what was being spoken about. I don't understand why I failed. Show me why. Show me what's in me. See if there be any wicked way in me. He's inviting all of us into this kind of searching maturity with him about why do we do the things we do? Why do we fail to do the things we do? Why are we now 30 years in the faith, and we are still having that thing come out of our mouth or come to our hand? Why do we still treat our relative that way? Why do we still fight with those thoughts? Yes, the right answer is because we are sinful and we need a Savior. You will struggle against sin the rest of your life, but don't struggle as the most ignorant person regarding your sins. Why did we fail to understand? What a shepherd this is. What a soul doctor Jesus is. Now, after all that work of leading them out of the hole, like little children, where he rehearses the two miracles and lays it right out there for them, does all the work for them, After all that, Jesus gets back to restating his main point. It is still as urgent a need as ever. And there it is in verse 11. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, why did Jesus say this at the time he said it? He said it, as we saw in our reading, because the Pharisees and the Sadducees had have just come to him in some kind of delegation of both parties. They've just come to Jesus to test him. And they asked Jesus to show them a sign from heaven. In this request from the theological leaders of Israel, Jesus immediately recognized the source of an evil that had permeated the whole generation. 
that he was among that, that very day. And so he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus has immediately recognized that this leaven, that lust for signs, and is not ever satisfied with the signs that have been given, that this leaven is everywhere in Israel. And so he uses the word leaven to truly strike in the hearts of his disciples the great danger of false teaching that's floating around like particles in the air over the land of Israel. Albert Barnes has a very helpful five-point analysis of why erroneous doctrines are like leaven. One, they are at first slight and unimportant in appearance, just as leaven is small in quantity as compared with the mass that is to be leavened. Two, they are insinuated, erroneous doctrines, into the soul unawares and silently and are difficult of detection. Three, they act gradually. Four, they act most certainly. And five, they will pervade all the soul and bring all the faculties under their control. Now, I'm not going to go into much detail on what the Lord says about the sign of Jonah, because we just heard a sermon on that, because he said it back in Matthew chapter 12. But I do want to go into a little bit more detail on this teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how this false teaching permeates the church of Jesus Christ. Now, just to give you a little taste for it, year after year, the Jews would make a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for the great Passover feast. And when they got there, they would buy a lamb, but before they could do so, they would have to trade out their money to have the right coin, the right temple coin, to buy that lamb. Now, you know what happened. The Lord Jesus himself came to that temple, and in great anger, he cleansed that temple, turning over tables, chasing out money changers. The house of his father had become a den of thieves. Now, you want to see how leaven works? Nobody in the theological pastoral leadership of Israel had done something like that in all the years that slow corruption had come upon the temple court. Nobody had done it. Jesus shows up and does that which is necessary, that which is righteous, that which is true, that which is urgent, that which needed to be done. He cleanses the temple. For he, of course, is the great high priest, a priest of righteousness, a priest of justice and equity. He cleanses the temple, and it scandalizes many. Why were they scandalized? They were scandalized 
because of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The people had become soft towards corruption, soft towards errors. And this is how false teaching as leaven works. We don't come into contact with its root, the you know, three-foot-thick round trunk of error. We come into contact with a spore floating through the air off the leaf that's on the end of the branch. And we breathe it in, and slowly we are changed to accommodate error. Jesus is saying, beware, watch out for the leaven of false teaching because it sneaks up upon you and it grows inside of you and it grows strong and it permeates all of you and before you know it, you can't bear to hear sound doctrine. You can't bear to participate in sound worship. You can't bear to put up with the righteousness that's angular. You need everything smooth and round. And that all comes from this leaven of false teaching. A few examples from the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, we read this about the ministry of John the Baptist. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now let's pause. Was it right to think of these men as a brood of vipers? Was it right to agree with John that these men were indeed like a nest of snakes in the the house and nation of Israel? Absolutely it was. But this is not the way people thought about them until they heard John say it. John said this and it cut like a hot knife through butter and opened up the windows and light shone in and people began to understand how they had been compromised by the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He goes on, telling these Pharisees and Sadducees, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Who among the regular worshipers in Israel would think that it was wrong for the Pharisees and the Sadducees to comfort themselves before God that they were children of Abraham? Who would have thought that that was wrong to say and take comfort from it? Their heritage. But but John is revealing that it is wrong to put your hope for salvation in your Abrahamic heritage. He's cutting through the leaven. And he's shocking and scandalizing a people who had fallen under the spell of it. Matthew 5.20. You know the Sermon on the Mount now? Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you think the scribes and Pharisees ever gave a public seminar in Jerusalem and said to the people, Unless your righteousness exceeds our righteousness, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven? 
They never would have said that. And when Jesus said this, it was like a lightning bolt burning the particulate of this leaven that's in the air, false teaching. So successful had been the Pharisees and Sadducees that they had made their righteousness the righteousness that all men could have only hoped to achieve. They made their righteousness, that righteousness that everybody looked up to and adored. And here comes Jesus and says, that is not a righteousness that will bring anyone into the kingdom of heaven. He's cutting through the leaven. Let me give you one more. Matthew 15, 1, a passage we heard recently. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And you remember what Jesus said in reply. He said, Why do you Pharisees break the commandments of God to keep your traditions? Traditions that cannot be found in the written scriptures, but are thick in the volumes written by the Pharisees. Again, the Lord Jesus is breaking through the leaven. Brothers and sisters, here is the point. The Christian life, as much as we perhaps would have liked it to be, is not resting on a floaty with a cold drink and a straw. The Christian life is being awake in a watchtower and equipping ourselves to look out and see, to watch and beware, to look out and see those movements, those shifts, those, those errors on the horizon so that we do not ourselves get lulled into false teaching because we are addicted to attending upon the cares of the body in this world. We live in times, and nobody has probably said this more eloquently than Dr. Carl Truman, we live in times of great biblical illiteracy. We know less of our Bibles. We spend less time reading our Bibles. We have less of an interest in theology and thinking about God and thinking about the church and thinking about false doctrine and sound doctrine. We have less interest in that because we have so much stuff that needs our attention. We have so much stuff that needs to be maintained and fixed and repaired and replaced. We have so many activities to do that it almost sounds quaint that there could be perhaps maybe three or four of us in the church who are watching out for sound doctrine. Well, that is certainly the duty of your church officers, the elders. But all of us are are summoned to beware and to watch out for the leaven of false teachers. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God, has redeemed us and united himself to us 
through his spirit and has opened up our understanding to hear and believe and benefit from his word so that we could grow up in sound doctrine, that we could grow straight in sound doctrine, that we could be full of charity to help those who are being buried and crushed by error. He has given us all that we need in giving us himself so that we can do better as we ask for the grace to do better. Watch out. Beware. Beware of thinking about the missing bread. You will have enough. Set your eyes on the watchtower. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the way you dealt with and cared for your disciples, whom you love, and you love us with this very same love. For we too have been chosen, we too have been called and given to the beloved Son. We, too, are numbered among those who will not perish. We, too, have title to heaven. We, too, like them, have the Spirit of God. And we, too, have the the dulling weakness of thinking about the cares of this life. And, Lord, we confess that we often give ourselves too much honor for thinking about the cares of this life so much. We confess, Lord, that we have often found ways in our conscience to excuse ourselves for thinking about the cares of this life so much and not thinking more about the cares of your church, of our brothers and sisters who are languishing under false teaching, of our friends and neighbors who are targets of wolves, of our own soul and how easily it drifts and gets carried along by the downgrade of theology and practice. Oh, Lord, please, please put us to the same peace and rest and faith that you brought these disciples to by rehearsing again to them that, lo, you are with us always until the end of the age. And we are not orphans in the world. We will have what we need. Oh, Lord, keep us from wanting more and more and more. Grant us, Lord, renewed hearts that desire to watch and beware, to watch and beware for our own soul and those of our brothers and sisters in Christ. In his name we ask it. Amen.